You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. And I'll get us started with prayer. So let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for um, the promises that you make in Scripture and the reliability that you've shown um, in our lifetime. But as we look back into the Old Testament for centuries, we've seen your reliability to keep your promises to your people. So we thank you and praise you for that today. We thank you that we can rest today knowing that promises you've made are still intact and you are still working to accomplish those. And so we praise you and thank you um, for your goodness and for your grace and for your mercy to us. Thank you for the things that you've been teaching us in your word. I pray that you would continue to establish our faith in you as we learn more through your word, even this morning, as we uh, review some of the things that you've been teaching us, but then also look for specific ways that we can apply it to our life moving forward. Um, Lord, help us to uh, be focused and attentive even now, um, Lord, to really open our hearts to what you have to say, how you want to teach us, but then also how you want to change us uh, through that teaching as well. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, welcome and glad you're here this morning. For those that have maybe never been a part of an application Sunday, you've already experienced a good portion of that through um, our time of breakfast and fellowship this morning. Um, We do this every uh, six weeks, and it's an opportunity for us to really just go back and look at things that we've been talking about um, and then really conclude the time with some specific application points. And so we're going to do that today. And then we'll finish everything by partaking of the Lord's Supper together uh, at the very end as well. Exodus chapter 1, we've been working our way through uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2. We'll finish up chapter 2 next week and then get ready to jump into chapter 3. But I want to draw your attention back to uh, the beginning here of chapter 1 because it sets the stage for uh, the study that we're engaged in right now. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Our first week looking at uh, the book of Exodus, we said that through the book of Exodus, we're going to learn the history of Yahweh specifically working to sovereignly save a specific people to make his unmatched glory known in a global way. And so just to kind of refresh your memory on where we're going with this study in Exodus, we're seeing how God takes a family, Abraham's family, Isaac's family, Jacob's family, And he expounds upon that family and creates a great nation out of that people. Um, And so they go from 70 to in the millions by the end of the book of Exodus. And uh, what we're seeing through this study is how God is creating a people uh, that are going to be radically different than the people around them. It's going to be a people that's set apart, uh, that's going to know him in a unique, special way. Uh, not just for them to hang on to it, though, for them to then turn around and be a light to these other nations. So it's not just about God pulling Israel out and making them unique and separate 
without any type of work going on for these other nations. No, God's going to include work with those other nations as he works through Israel. And so um, God is going to save them, uh, deliver them, set them apart. We'll see this as he gives them the holy law and and how he uh, forms this nation out of this people. Um, But it's ultimately going to be used to show his glory to all the world. Now, we looked at some specific reasons why we're studying the book of Exodus. We said, first off, that we want to embrace the history of these people as our history now. Uh, While we may not be Jewish, because we've been grafted into this spiritual family, this becomes our our history. Um, So yes, it's the, the history of Israel, but it's our history too, because we've been grafted in. If we're believers, we've been grafted into this people um, the book of Galatians talks about being uh, us being descendants of Abraham now by faith. And so this is our history too. And so the ways that we see God take care of Israel and provide for Israel, the things that he communicates to Israel, these are things that are relevant for us too, even though we're not Israelites. Number two, we want to gain a deeper trust of God uh, as we see him remembering his promises and working to fulfill those promises. This passage begins in Exodus chapter 1 with him beginning to fulfill these promises that were made to Abraham years ago, uh, that he was going to make a great nation out of them. And now he's doing that. But he also promised Abraham they would be in Egypt for 400 years and they would be in slavery, but that he was going to rescue them. And so we're going to see God keeping that promise to see and learn more about who God was and is still today, specifically seeing his fame and glory that he deserves. God's going to set himself apart from the Egyptian gods, from the, the things of their culture, from the things of their world, and show himself to be much better. And so we can see God being the same God today, that he's much better than the gods of our world as well. To understand better our own salvation through the lens of Israel's salvation, we're going to learn our salvation better as we see how God reveals salvation to them, uh, particularly through the blood sacrifice of the lamb and uh, the Passover and his wrath passing over them and being applied to the the spotless lamb and how God passes over us because of Jesus's blood. Uh, To live out our call to holiness in a more distinct way by learning the desires that God has for his people. He brings them out of Egypt into the wilderness, communicates a different way of living to them, which we want to embrace as well. And then to realize that God's active covenant presence in our life is the thing that matters most. And so I challenged you in that first week to be ready to embrace the deeds of God recording in this book so we can remind ourselves that Yahweh is truly greater than all the other gods and so we can faithfully recount them to others as well. So, you know, challenging you to be dialed into our study here in Exodus, to to know the history of God's people, both to encourage ourselves, but to teach it to others too, uh, that we want others to understand how great our God is. And while this happened so long ago, it still communicates to us today the greatness of God. And so then we dived into the text in chapter one uh, in the following week and looked at what it looks like to live optimistically in the face of hostility. Because as this passage unfolds, and we'll look at verse eight now, it's um, it's not all easy for God's people. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitnam and Ramses, 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. You guys know that as you work through chapter 1, it goes on to talk about how they start to kill the babies to try to limit the population. They're scared of how quickly Israel is growing. They're scared of how quickly God is applying his promises to his people and making them grow into this great nation. And so we said that God has purposed to keep his promises to his people, and he will not let the pharaohs of the world thwart those plans, giving us confidence to endure the processes needed to prepare us for glory by obeying him. And so uh, this week we really talked about how God's enemies can't stop his plans. He could, they couldn't do it back then, and they still can't do it today. So as we potentially encounter hostility in our own life, challenges and and trials and temptations, we can take comfort in knowing those things can't stop God's plans either. Um, And so I I told you to kind of think through how how Israel potentially lived during those 400 years, how they should have lived during those 400 years, knowing that God promised to come and save them after 400 years, that there should have been a a mindset of anticipation and hope, right? That this isn't the end all, that that there is more to come, there's better to come, God's promise to come and get us. We don't have a definite time frame given to us as believers, but we live in a similar type of predicament where we're living in this day and age where we're God's people, but there's hostility around us, there's rejection towards us as ones who follow God and his purposes, and, and we don't know how long we'll have to endure that. But we have been promised by Jesus that he's coming back for us. He is coming to to rule and to reign. He's coming to rescue us. And so we, like Israel, are living in this intermediate period where we're waiting. We're waiting for him to come. But it means we should live with hope and anticipation because we know he is coming, right? And so I challenge you to, to find hope in God remembering his promises, that as time passes, we must remember that God remains the same and his promises remain intact that his delays were on purpose here, right? That he was going to wait the full 400 years before he came to rescue them. That we find hope in God orchestrating his plans. That as the enemy, as Pharaoh works to stifle his plans, the enemy actually helps fulfill God's plans, right? We said that they actually grow faster than they were previously uh, to his um, persecution, to the slavery, to the oppression. Even as he begins to work to kill their babies, the Bible says they grow more and more. They're, they're continuing to multiply. And so we can take comfort in knowing that even when the enemy looks like he maybe is gaining ground in our own life and finding victory, that God is using those things to bring about his plans, that we can find hope in God preserving his people, right? We talked about how uh, while it wasn't necessarily what the Israelites would have chosen, but the slavery, the oppression, the abortion that was taking place around them, um, it made them ready to leave Egypt. It made them not put their roots too deeply in that culture. They were anxious and ready and looking for a deliverer. I think God does similar things to us. He brings us through trials and difficulties to create perseverance in our own faith, but also to make us ready for the world to come. This isn't our home. This isn't where we put our hope. This isn't where we put our focus. We're challenged all through the New Testament to have a heavenly mindset, to have an other world mindset that we don't live solely for the here and now. And so God uses trials and difficulties to make us ready for something better. 
And then we talked about finding hope in God providing his prize. We see the, the midwives who buck the system and don't obey the king here. Instead, they fear God, it says, over man. And they do what they know they're supposed to do, and that's preserving the baby boys. And God rewards them for that. He responds to their faithfulness. He talks about them him giving them their own families. And so we said faithfulness in response to opposition may be costly, but the fruitful reward, reward will come and it will be forever. And so they were putting their lives on the line by, by ignoring Pharaoh's commands. So there was some cost there potentially, but then God rewards them. And so we can take comfort and hope that he will do the same for us. And so the application challenge was, do you remember his promises when his plans seem to not make sense? Is his well treatment enough for you? God promises to treat us well too, just like he did the midwives. The next week we looked at the blessings of bondage, that God's foreknowledge and his present knowledge of our circumstances gives us assurance that in the midst of challenges, good is being accomplished for us so that good can be accomplished through us. Right? He's accomplishing good for us so that good can be accomplished through us. And we talked about how in these 400 years, the Israelites have things happening to them, but the Amorites have things happening to them too, right? This is the people group whose sin is going to reach a point where God will judge them. And so both of these people groups have things happening to them over the 400 years. God's protecting and preserving Israel And he's allowing the Amorites to build this list of sins that he's going to come and judge against them. We talked about obeying God and trusting him in our current predicaments because of his past deliverances. So in this week, we looked at kind of a future perspective of how God was going to use his deliverance in Israel to give them confidence about other ways he would deliver them in the future. So as they found themselves in future predicaments, God refers them back to, remember what I did in Egypt. Remember what I did in Egypt for you. Remember how I provided for you in Egypt, right? So we today want to look and see God's faithfulness and allow those past faithful occurrences to encourage us today when we also need him to be faithful to us. Um, And then we also talked about how God was going to use their experiences to help shape their experience of others uh, and how they would um, interact with others, right? And so as they come out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness, God challenges them, here's how we're going to treat foreigners. Here's how we're going to treat people who are different than us. And you know that we should treat them this way because you've been treated the opposite way. When you were in Egypt, when you were a foreigner, you were treated this way, use your experience Use the slavery and bondage as motivation to treat these people differently, right? And so we talked about how for us, we want to see our own trials, our own challenges, the ways that God provides for us. We want to use those experiences to help shape others as well. We want to to use how God was faithful to us to encourage others, right? Second Corinthians talks about this, that God brings us through difficulties. He comforts us during difficulties so that we can be used as an instrument of comfort to others in our own life. And so encourage you to think about that. Encourage you to think about your own experiences. All of us have unique trials and challenges and difficulties that we've had over the years, but they're not so unique that nobody else has those right? And so as you experience people who are going through certain things, there's ways that you can relate to them, specifically because of what God has brought you through, and you can use that as a means of encouragement to them. Told you to, or challenged you to process your life circumstances with a mindset that God knew and God knows, 
right? God knows the Israelites. He knows how they're, they're struggling and the challenges that they're facing. We see this at the end of chapter 2. They're crying out to God for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He knows what we're going through today as well. Prepare to use your life circumstances to strengthen your own faith, but also to strengthen the faith of others too. Now, the last week we've really dialed in on God's sovereignty, both his sovereignty over chaos in our life and his sovereignty over our own choices in our life as well. Two weeks ago, we said that in the midst of life's challenges or in the midst of life's chaos, the the things, the circumstances that we can't control, we must remember that God remains sovereign, which enables me to remain faithful to him while waiting patiently for him to work providentially for my good. And so two weeks ago, we talked about what providence is. It's God using his sovereignty, right? The, the fact that he has the right to control things, the power to control things. His providence is him using his control for our good. So he providentially works for us because he's promised to do so. So in the midst of life's chaos, he's working for our good. We wait patiently to see that good come from him. We trust his sovereign rule. Um, He remains in control. He carries out his plans. Uh, We express faith by expecting his providential care, believing that there's this underpinning uh, evidence that, that things are working for good in our life because he's promised to do that. He controls things for good. So we keep obeying him in the midst of that. We see this illustrated in chapter two with the ways that Moses's family is acting in the midst of the chaos around them, right? Moses's mom knows there's this command that if she has a baby boy, she's supposed to submit him to death, basically, right? She bucks that. She goes against that. She tries to hide him and save him. God honors that, and God begins to work and move in specific ways to make sure that Moses is preserved, right? Um, he's not found during that first, first three-month period where she keeps him. He's preserved through the water when she puts him in the little boat and puts him in the Nile River. He's not, he's not captured or eaten by animals at that time. He's, he's found by the exact person who needs to find him, the princess of Pharaoh, who's already, for whatever reason, we don't know, sympathetic to finding a Hebrew baby boy and wanting him to live. God works all these details for Moses' care. We can express faith by waiting for his perfect timing, too. I challenge you that at the worst part of this whole bondage and slavery and oppression, at the very worst part, we see God is most at work. The people would have been tempted to resent him. We should look at this situation and apply it to our own life. There's times when we go through trials and difficulties when at the very worst of that, we may feel like God is nowhere to be found and God is absolutely not at work. But what we see here at the absolute worst He's most at work, right? We have no idea what was happening in these other 400 years. What we do know right here is in the midst of the worst part, he's raising up the deliverer. He is bringing Moses onto the scene to rescue the people. He's probably working like that in our own life. When we feel like God is nowhere to be found in our own circumstances, it's probably when he's most at work. We just don't see it yet, but he's working behind the scenes to bring about good in our life. And so, uh, the, the statement that I gave you at the end of two weeks ago's sermon, it says, when chaos hits, remember, God is in control. God is in control for your good, and God's good will come at the right time. At the right time, he will bring that good to you. And then last week, we looked at his sovereignty in our own choices. 
In the midst of life's daily choices, we must remember that God remains sovereign, which enables me to make decisions meant to bring honor to Him while taking comfort that when they don't, He will redeem my failures for my good. This is where we see Moses growing up now. He's now on the scene as an, as an adult man, ready to lead Israel. And he makes some good decisions and he makes some bad decisions, right? The New Testament highlights that good decision, faithful decision, was him deciding, I'm not going to stay in Pharaoh's house. I'm not going to stay in Egypt. I'm not going to identify with the royal family. No, I'm going to identify with my true heritage. I'm going to identify with God's people. Now, the bad decisions were allowing his emotions to get the better of him, where he sees the, the uh, Egyptian beating the Hebrew, and he steps in and he kills the Egyptian. When he sees the, the, the two Israelites fighting together, he tries to separate them, and, and they reject him because of his previous mistake. And so then he flees and has to run to Midian, where he encounters the shepherds, who he then fights them off to deliver uh, Jethro's daughters. And it's in the midst of that you see him making good decisions. He's, he's obviously fighting for the weak. He's fighting to, to rescue those who are in need, but he's also doing it outside of God's timing and outside of God's will, where ultimately God's not going to get the glory. And so um, God's having to work and move in the midst of his failures, right? Joseph tells his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I don't think Moses meant to create evil here. I don't think he meant to create failure here, but we can take comfort that what we didn't mean for evil, God still means for good too. Even when we make mistakes, God works and moves in those mistakes for our good. Don't ever let, you, don't ever let yourself think that your decision-making and your choices are more sovereign than God's, right? It's tempting sometimes to think that. It's tempting sometimes to think that we've screwed up and we've messed up so badly that God can't fix this now or God can't use this now. And, and by really saying that, what we're saying is that I have more sovereign control over the situation than God does, right? Moses is flopping and failing here, but God is totally working. God is totally moving to prepare him for how he is going to use him. God's sovereignty empowers me to move about my daily life without fear of making lasting mistakes that ruin God's plan. God works and moves in the chaos and the choices of everyday life to bring about his determined plans and purposes. Now, we talked about the good choices and the bad choices of Moses. From the good choice side of things, how it relates to us, we want to identify with God's people just like Moses did, right? So, as we go about our daily life, as we find opportunities at school, where we go to school or where we work, we want to identify with God's people. We want to join ourselves to a local community like this church. We want to identify with God's people in such a way where we're known for being God's people, right, within community. We want to identify with God's purposes and his personality, meaning we want to live and function towards others the way that God does. Moses gives us a great example of this. We've already talked about how he was committed to justice and reconciliation. When he sees people fighting, he tries to bring them together. When he sees people being hurt, he tries to bring rescue to their lives. We want to have that type of mindset too when we see others uh, in need. We talked about how our choices should reflect these things, but God will always redeem them when, we, when they don't. We can, we can do all, of, all we can to, to, to bring glory and honor to God with our choices and decisions, but when we mess up and fail, we can trust that God will redeem those failures to make sure that his plans are still accomplished. 
So then last week, we kind of wrapped up with the idea that God's Word has to shape our choices more than the worldly environment we reside in. Remember, Moses grows up in Egypt. He's, he's, he's got every opportunity to say, I'm a product of my environment, right? Where, where I've grown up in Egypt, I've seen the Egyptians and how they live and how they act, and so therefore I'll act like they do. But he acts contrary to it, right? He acts according to what he's been taught by his mom for maybe, maybe a short period of time in his life, right? But he keeps coming back to his spiritual heritage. So I challenged our, our young people last week, our kids that are in school right now, who oftentimes spend a good portion of their day away from their family and oftentimes potentially away from people who are trying to do the right thing. Very easy to sit with the crowd at lunch or walk the hallways with those who have no interest in the things of God and then potentially have their lifestyle choices impact your lifestyle choices. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Moses is a great example of how our, our environment doesn't have to shape us. Instead, we can, we can allow the teachings of God's word to shape us instead. Moses aligns with God's word. He makes choices that align with God's word instead of what his worldly environment was doing. God's sovereignty puts our failures in proper perspective too. He can still work good through me when I make the wrong choice. He does that through Moses. So that's where we've been over the last five weeks. A lot, of, a lot of it's really tied together. I don't think these sermons necessarily stand in isolation of each other. There's a lot of overlap that we've seen in our first five weeks of this study. A lot of overlap here in chapter one and chapter two. And so I think you'll see that when we look at the, um, the things to remember and the things to do as points of application. Um, we're really setting ourselves up to to kind of move out of chapter one and chapter two in the coming weeks and hopefully start to see a lot, a lot of other stuff that's found here in the book of Exodus. But the three things that I really want you to dial into and remember from these first five sermons, number one, God's plans and purposes for you are always fulfilled in the right time with any delays being part of the purpose for those plans. Let that sink in for just a minute. God's plans and purposes for you are always fulfilled in the right time with any delays being part of the purpose for those plans, right? The children of Israel, God had plans for them. He had purposes for them. He put them in Egypt so they could grow into a great nation. He had plans and purposes to save them out of that, to rescue them out of that. But he also had the right time to do that. It was going to be after 400 years. And while they felt like he was delaying potentially in the midst of that, he was not delaying at all. It was absolutely exactly according to his timing. It was part of his plan to delay that long, right? To set them up for success by growing into a great nation. To set the Amorites up to be the recipients of his justice because their sin would warrant his response. It's the same for us too. God's plans and purposes for you, they're always fulfilled in the right time. And there may be times where you feel like, man, when is God going to do this? When is he going to provide? Why is he delaying? We can trust that his delays are part of the purpose. His timing is part of the purpose for the plans that he has for us. Number two, the chaos that we experience in life may feel like wins for the enemy, but are in fact deeper providential plans that God has for us. The chaos we experience in life, it may feel like the enemy is winning against us, that the enemy is finding victory, that the enemy is, is usurping the authority of God, and that the enemy is now victorious. But in fact, 
Those things that we're going through, the trials and the difficulties, those are God's providential plans for us. He is using the difficulties. He's using the challenges to grow us and to strengthen us. He's got purpose in the midst of that chaos. Number three, our failures and mistakes do not overrule God's sovereignty and are redeemable opportunities for his plans to still be accomplished. Our failures and mistakes do not overrule God's sovereignty. They are instead redeemable opportunities for his plans to still be accomplished. And that's what he does. He redeems them. He redeems them and makes them right. Even when we were wrong, he makes our choices right and brings good through them. So really the the overarching theme in these first five sermons carries the idea of God making promises, God having plans and purposes for his people, and him accomplishing that. And nothing being able to stop it. Time can't stop it. The enemy can't stop it. In fact, we can't even stop it, right? The, the, the long period of delay, that doesn't mean that God's not keeping his, his promises. He is. The enemy can't do anything to stop his promises from coming. He will fulfill them. We can't even mess it up for him. We can't, we can't deter his promises being applied to us. He will work good because he's promised to do so. So what do we do then? We remember these things. What do we do? Number one, we need to prioritize the word and wordly people, not worldly people, but wordly people in our life to remind us of God's promises and his faithfulness to keep them in his timing. What does that mean? We're not going to naturally think this way, right? It's all well and good on a Sunday morning. We can look at the book of Exodus. We can say, amen, I believe that. It's true. God keeps his promises and he keeps them in his timing and his delays are designed, We can say all that on a Sunday morning, but then we get in the middle of the week and things start hitting us and we're very quick to start grumbling and complaining just like Israel is going to do in the wilderness. And on a Sunday morning, it's so easy to criticize Israel for grumbling and complaining against a sovereign God who takes care of them, right? I mean, we have clear thinking on a Sunday morning. We can see this so clearly. How could you grumble and complain against this God who just rescued you from from Egypt? And yet we do the very same thing, right? God delivers us and we go throughout the week and we find reasons to grumble and complain because his timing and his purposes don't match our agenda. They don't match our timetable. We need the word. We need to be in the word regularly. But we also need people in our life who spend time in the word to speak to us as well, to keep our focus and attention right. When we are tempted to grumble and complain, when we are tempted to kind of lose our focus, these people in our life that'll pull us back in, right? That's what we try to set up here in our church to to have these large gatherings, to take every five weeks some time for just extended fellowship for us to grow our relationships with each other, to hopefully enhance friendships, but then through our small groups and through our D groups to create natural opportunities for you to, to intersect with other believers who are spending time in God's word, who can speak truth to you when the enemy is trying to gain a foothold in your life, when the enemy is trying to, 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 to appear as though he is gaining victory through the trials that you experience. We need the word and we need worldly people to help remind us of God's promises and his faithfulness to keep those promises in his timing. Number two, I need to look for ways to use God's faithfulness in my past and current experiences to encourage others experiencing similar chaos. I need to look for ways to use God's faithfulness in my past and current experiences to encourage others experiencing similar chaos. 
We need to see that God brings us through things so that we can help bring other people through them as well. Look for unique ways that God has been faithful to you. Keep your ears open for people that are going through similar stuff and speak truth into that for them. Be the wordly person for them who can help direct their attention to to God and his promises when they need it. And then number three, I need to make decisions that are designed for his glory with a focus on serving and protecting others around me. That's what Moses models for us, both in his good decisions and bad decisions. He helps us to see what we should be. We should be making decisions that are designed for his glory. Moses seems to work and move and act in such a way where he would have received the glory had he led Israel or tried to lead Israel out at that time. We need to make decisions, and we can take comfort in knowing that our decisions will will more often be right than wrong if we're focused in this way. If we're focused on his glory and we're focused on serving and protecting others around us, then the decisions that we're making will most likely fall in line with his purposes. Now, when we fail, he redeems it. But we can limit him having to redeem it if we'll be in line with his purposes up front, right? His glory, the service, and the protection of those around us. Three things for you guys to remember, three things to to try to seek to do uh, as we move forward. I encourage you to to take these. Um, They're available through our um, online notes if you want to go back and refer to them. If you didn't get a chance to write them down today, encourage you to do that. Um, The reason that we do these application Sundays is so that we can be faithful um, to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. So let me encourage you to use Uh, our time of recap today and our time of application today uh, so that you can be faithful to do his word. Turn your attention now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm excited to each time we get to partake of the Lord's Supper during our study in Exodus because I feel like it'll take on new uh, relevance and and new importance to us because we'll see uh, more and more as we work through Exodus the historical context for how Jesus is even uh, participating in this first supper with his disciples uh, as he's breaking the bread and drinking the, the, the juice, uh, that it, it flows from their, their Passover meal together, right? They're, they're, they're gathered together to celebrate this first great delivery uh, of God saving his people and saving them from their sins by applying his wrath to a perfect spotless lamb, the blood being shed on their behalf. And it was a teaching tool, a teaching tool to help the Israelites, who again, up to this point, the God that they worship has been a family God. Yeah, he was Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God, but now he's becoming their God. And so God communicates and teaches this important lesson that their sin is too great for them to atone for that it requires the, the shed blood of a, perfect, of a perfect being, right, for it to, to cover. And so God teaches them that through the Passover as the blood is shed and it's wiped on the doorpost. God, God sends his wrath over the city and it passes over the people who have that blood on their doorpost. Jesus sheds his blood for us on the doorpost of the cross. And, and now when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, God's wrath passes over us as well. We get the chance to partake of that today, to to publicly express what we believe. And so here at our church, here at Sovereign Hope, we we invite you, if you're a believer, to partake today. Uh, We encourage you to do so as uh, as a public profession of something that's already happened for you. So this doesn't save you and doesn't keep you saved. It doesn't add to your salvation. 
It is simply a, a way for us to encourage one another. As we sing together, we encourage one another. As we sit and dialogue and talk about God's word, we encourage one another. We partake of the Lord's Supper to encourage each other too because what we are expressing publicly in unity together is that Jesus' work saves us. We see this from Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we do today. We proclaim that Jesus has died, but he is not still dead. He is raised to life, and he is coming again. And so for those of you that maybe aren't believers... Maybe for our kids who have yet to make a profession of faith, um, what we're doing today is we're we're showing what we believe, and we believe that Jesus came to live a perfect life because we're not perfect, and Jesus came to shed His blood for us because we're sinners and we're in need of a Savior. And so, by partaking today, we are say, we are saying that Jesus is enough, that Jesus saves us and not ourselves, that our good works can never save us, and so encourage you to worship in this manner. I'm going to pray for us. Tyson's going to come and um, give us an opportunity to sing here in a minute, but encourage you to use this as a time of personal reflection too, uh, as a means of personally worshiping and thanking God for his goodness. Uh, He was good to his people in the past. He's good to his people today. We thank him for that, and we certainly thank him for his ultimate act of goodness in sending Jesus on our behalf. Let's pray together. God, we, we love you and thank you and praise you. We thank you for Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you that in the midst of our sin and failures, you sent your son. When we were your enemies, you sent your son to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death. And you show that that he accomplished both of those things by raising him from the dead. It's your proof that his sacrifice has been accepted. So we thank you and praise you that we can have confidence today, confidence to enter your throne room, confidence to come before you because we do so because Jesus has gone before us. We thank you that his righteousness is applied to us, that his life was perfect. We thank you that our sins are forgiven because his blood was shed. We're thankful that we can continue to confess our sins to you, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Lord, I pray that you would empower us as we leave today to be faithful to you. Encourage us through the time of worship here. Lord, I pray that it would keep us holding close to you throughout all the chaos and choices that will come this week. Lord, help us to continue to submit ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.